honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Strange on Purpose podcast. Today, I am very excited to be joined by my guest. He is the VP of Multicultural Marketing at StockX, and his name's Tom. Tom, thanks for joining me today. Izzy, thank you for having me, mate. Really looking forward to this. I'm excited to sit down and really get to get to know you as a person. Um, when I did some research on you, what stood out to me, and it seems like a lot of people are are kind of kind of gravitate towards you because of your role right now at this this massive brand. But what stood out to me was your your background in the agency setting and how it's really shaped your career path. So do you want to, anybody that is listening that doesn't know who you are, doesn't know what StockX is, let's say, mm-hmm. do you want to give a little bit of an intro? Sure. So so now I'm um, the VP of cultural marketing at StockX, which really means to us kind of how we work with external partners, whether that be a brand or strategic partner, whether it be talent um, or a creator. Um, or whether it be how we work kind of experientially. And obviously in COVID times, that means a very different thing um, to what it used to mean, but traditionally it was using experiential platforms to to build the brand. Um, and I've been with StockX just over two years now. And then prior to that was it's a brand called Sonos. I ran my own consultancy with a handful of brands like Sweetgreen and Away. And then before that spent um, several years in both New York and London working as part of the IPG family at an agency called Momentum, working exclusively on American Express. Interesting. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was brand partnerships for American Express, correct? That's right. Yeah. So Amex um, have a phenomenal set of member benefits. um, And one of them is access to exclusive events or access to early tickets for events and experiences. And so I worked on the team when I was in London, the European team, leading their music and entertainment partnerships, and then moved to New York to run the international program, taking the relationships within the US, like AEG Live, Live Nation, WME, et cetera, and activating those assets across Europe um, and internationally for American Express. And then I spent a couple of years there and then moved on to, to the role at Sonos, which in the initial stage was on the brand partnership side too. So the the agency setting, let's dive a little bit deeper into that, because that's something that um, given your role currently, a lot of people think like you have to start at StockX or you have to start at brands to be able to land a job like that. How did how did that agency life really shape you Uh, from the marketing standpoint, from the from the personal standpoint, because agencies, you're not required, but you're almost uh, you're almost expected to work those. It's not a nine to five job. So how did that really shape you? Yeah, it, it, it created, and, and this isn't necessarily for me, but this is just kind of what I believe, but hopefully some of this is the case for me, is it really created this incredibly strong foundation um, for all of the things that you need in your future career, 
whether it's attention to detail, whether it's the creation of those status reports, contact reports, learning how to write an email properly, learning how to talk to senior clients, senior leaders on the agency side, learning how to put together a pitch deck, learning how to, get to put together a proposal for a client, what a visually pleasing deck that also um, brings over the message of the concept. All of that stuff is the bread and butter of agency. And I always find this is the kind of dichotomy of agency teams where they they actually tend to hate, or certainly a lot of my friends, and I definitely did, you hate the agency life because you think that you are just the bottom of the ladder, regardless of whether you're the ECD there, um, but you're really building that foundation and building that muscle that when you do get that opportunity or you take that choice to go and work for a brand, you have almost unprecedented experience at every single level. And my experience was when I moved to Sonos, when I moved to StockX, was that even though I was senior, I was still not shy of, you know, packing boxes, shipping VIP uh, seating gifts out, doing all of those things that you do when you're an account executive at an agency. And you also do when you're a director and a senior director at an agency, but then you move to client side. And I think people assume when you're the client, you don't have to do that. Um, but I firmly believe that agency life sets you up to be eternally comfortable in doing that. And I just think in this day and age more than ever, it's increasingly important to recognize how valuable that is. Um, and so for me, that long career of agency life at Momentum, particularly working on a client like American Express that is so detail orientated, um, so financially focused, so quality focused as well, um, really just set the table for what I wanted to go on and do, do next in my career. And so I can't be more appreciative of, of that past. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think what's cool is that you made that jump from obviously the agency to Sonos and then you made a, a little bit of a, a career. I hate the word pivot because it's so heavily used <laughs> these days, but uh, a little, I'm going to call it a zigzag um, of a career move where you, you, you went into marketing, cultural marketing. Where, mm -hmm. where did that come from? Yeah. You know, I'd always been, I think I was passionate about cultural marketing before I knew what cultural marketing even was. Um, Can you give because, us a definition really quick? I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so the way we think about it and it's slightly different at every brand and agency, but the way that we think about it is, is building genuine relationships with authentic creators and brands um, that are tied to affinity of a product or a brand or an item, and then telling a collaborative story around that. And so for us, what culture means at StockX or what I meant at Sonos was now it means sport, music, and fashion. And what it meant when I was at Sonos was food, design, and music. Like, what does culture mean to a different person? Well, it really depends on who the audience that you're trying to target is. Mm. And at Sonos, it was those three areas. And at StockX, it's the, it's the sport, music, and fashion. And at other brands, it means different things. But broadly speaking, and I hate to use this phrase, but, but it's culture, right? It's the arts. It's mm -hmm. finding a way of having a message that resonates with a customer, doing something meaningful for them that's going to make them prick up their ears and pay attention to, to your brand. I love that. I think the the multicultural marketing sense, when you move into StockX, that's I, obviously, like as you mentioned, there there's two different audiences. So when you decided, hey, or when you made that move, did you really know the audience? Had, had you done a ton of research? Were you the audience, per se? For StockX, you mean, specifically? Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's it's a funny story. I was I was loosely familiar with StockX um, when the opportunity arose. I sold some sneakers, but I I'd never bought. I only <laughs> had the selling experience, and frankly, I thought it was incredible. Um, and I, I couldn't believe that you list this product, it immediately sells a label that is there, and you ship it out next day, and your payout arrives shortly after. And so I was floored by that. But I'd never gone through the purchasing experience. I'd I'd never been to the purchasing you know, homepage for the platform, I just gone straight stockx.com sell. And so I didn't know a huge amount about it at the time. However, um, Josh, who's the the co-founder and was the CEO at the time, um, brought me into the world very quickly and, and brought me out to Detroit to, to meet the team and to see everything that StockX was about. And the first day I went there, I remember for, for interviews and to meet the team, I walked into the authentication center and just being immersed in that world, I was like, wow, like this is a this is like a totally different planet. The consumer is obviously young, creative, passionate about these things. I was talking to the authenticators and those those guys and girls were absolutely the audience. And I could see the passion in their faces talking about these products. But what was so exciting for me was like, you know, I'm a guy from the middle of nowhere um, in England. And yeah, I'm meeting these guys and, and girls in Detroit who are as passionate about these shoes as I was when I was growing up. And so that automatically just filled me with like, wow, I have to learn more about this opportunity and, and make it happen for me because I automatically felt that connection with these people that we're so far apart in terms of where we'd grown up, but we were deeply passionate about these things that this platform was allowing consumers to, to get their hands on. So when we say multicultural marketing, can you, can you, First of all, hit, hit on again really quick before I move on to the next question. What those, what those really, um, those three things are that really stand out to you. So the things that we think about in terms of our customer, and I do want to clarify, it's cultural marketing, not multicultural. Oh, marketing. I'm sorry. Multicultural marketing is a different avenue, um, which we don't currently have at Stockcase. Obviously. Um, diversity is a key thing that we think about, um, but it's, this is culture in terms of sort of the arts and entertainment. And mm-hmm. so the way that we think about it is, is what is our consumer groups passionate about? And this is obviously rooted in some art and some science. So it's rooted in customer research and those data and insights um, around who these people are, where they live, how much money they spend, what they're passionate about. But then it's also rooted in trend, right? Like current culture. What are the people at the macro level who are fitting into some of these segments also passionate about? And so for us, globally, it's sport, music, and fashion. And those are pretty broad. But uh, if you think about it regionally, and this can get really niche and really nuanced depending on where you go. But in the U.S., we think about basketball um, and skate are really the big priorities. And then obviously gaming and esports and then fashion and music can really depend. There's the, there's the global names in fashion and music that would resonate with our audience, but there's also the national countrywide city specific artists, musicians, designers that you would work with to drive that kind of relevance throughout culture. And so I think that's one of my favorite things about cultural marketing is that it's truly global, but it's also truly local. Um, and you can find a way to connect with a customer, a consumer, a prospective customer um, through something that they're passionate about that really hits them on something that they care about. So I'm going to pose a hypothetical question. Yeah. If 
you're sitting at your desk, obviously, let's say it's post COVID, you don't have to be wearing a mask or anything like that. And the CEO walks in, hands you a blank check and says, I want to see something that hits the sport music and fashion segments. Mm-hmm. What are you working on? Really putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think something that we were really excited about that, that COVID had a massive effect on was the Olympics. Um, mm. You know, Japan and Tokyo specifically are a, a big priority for us as a business. And obviously, Tokyo's relevance, and this is nothing new, but Tokyo's relevance and influence in the spaces of particularly music and fashion are frankly unrivaled. And then you overlay that with the sport angle of the Olympics and bringing in these global athletes, these global performers, and finding ways to overlay that Tokyo-specific music and fashion was a massive opportunity and something that we were incredibly excited about and had lots of great plans um, to activate both on the ground and also digitally for the rest of the world who couldn't be there. And so I think, you know, if this was hypothetical, then I would hypothetically set it around, um, (laughs) you know, the Olympics happening in Tokyo this year. Um, But I would say that we would, we would activate in a very creative way on the ground in Tokyo, where we have a physical presence um, in Daikinyama, but then also finding a way to amplify that digitally to the rest of the world. Um, and I think that's something that we think about a lot is the, the sport and fashion piece is that StockX has gone from being very much lifestyle focused, like very much around product collaborations were the hottest product, Yeezy was the hottest product, and now it's starting to trend into a more um, sort of general consumer group that you would call it, where if you're simply looking for a pair of, you know, on running shoes, that's not what you traditionally would go to StockX for, but you can find them there and we're seeing traction mm-hmm. there. Or if you're now looking for Arcteryx product, there's a lot more that's on there too. And I think we were really excited about this opportunity in Tokyo where it could overlay this performance with this lifestyle um, and driving the cultural story throughout that. So I think that's probably... Uh, what I would hypothetically like to to see us activate in a big way. So cultural marketing is a s- industry that mm-hmm. requires you to constantly be ahead of trends. I'm guessing. So how do you how do you keep up with everything? I'm sure you have a great team around you, but how do you specifically keep up keep up with everything? Yeah, it get I find it gets harder as you get older. I, when I worked at at Momentum and when I worked at Sonos, I was I was definitely the core audience. And so what I felt um, that it was obviously there was some art and science in that again, but like what I felt um, really fitted with who the brand was trying to target there. And so I could utilize my gut um, a lot more than, than I do now. I'm, I'm a little bit older now and I'm definitely not that core audience for StockX. And so I really rely on the voice of internal people absolutely like internal councils whether it be my direct team or whether it be other people throughout the whether it's the authentication teams that we work with whether it's our content and creative teams that we work with or whether it's just friends around the organization that i'm constantly talking to to hear about the latest music fashion brands and we have several channels on slack instagram whatsapp wechat just sharing all these kinds of things and it's almost a network that's sort of constantly updating and now clubhouse has obviously become um, a key piece of that almost in real time and then i think second to that and this was something that i was given by my mentor when i was much younger in my career was just this constant thirst for 
information. Um, and so I read a lot and I also speak to a lot of people. And so my network of people outside of StockX, I just check in with and have conversations and hear what they find to be meaningful. And I, I'm also a, a little bit of a, um, what's a way of saying this without sounding sinister, but just a little bit of a creep. Like I want to see what people are posting <laughs> on Instagram when they post a brand that I haven't heard of. I then go deep on that brand to understand like, who are these people and why is this, you know, why is Shaniqua posting them and I need to learn more about them. And then that takes me in a rabbit hole somewhere else. So it's this like deep curiosity to, to learn more. And so, yeah, maybe creep was the wrong word, but this deep curiosity to learn and just understand what's current even if it doesn't resonate with me, it's something that I can plug back into the team that they can then kind of vet from the perspective of, of the customer or whether it's a right fit for, for StockX at this time. Have you always been like that? Childhood? Or is that something that came about when you first started your professional career? Um, I think I was like that when I was a child, but it was always very hyper-focused on the things I cared about. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of people now that I admire that just have a thirst for any new information, um, whether it's political, whether it's science, whether it's arts, whether it's business relationships. Um, and, and that, frankly, is not me. Um, it's really the things that resonate in their core with me. And so when I was younger, and it sounds terribly cliche to say, but the things I was passionate about when I was younger were things in sports, things in music and things in fashion. Um, <laughs> and, and so that kind of started then. And so I would go really deep and become obsessive with like band merch, like artist merch or being really into a band and following that band around. Or I was really into tennis and I became obsessed with Pete Sampras and every Nike tennis product from the archives. And I was buying them on eBay. Um, and then when I was a bit older, I became fashion a little bit more. I became obsessed with Colette. I wanted to know everything about Sarah. I wanted to go to Paris. I wanted to learn about every brand, every book, every product, every water bottle in the water bar. And, and so it's definitely the things I've been passionate about. But then as I started my professional career, I really felt the change in me when I hadn't spent time reading and consuming and, and going into those rabbit holes versus when I had. Um, and I just felt much more invigorated and much more, um, I think just in a different kind of brain space when I'd been fueling and as my mentor calls it, like feeding my brain, just constantly pushing information into it and learning and going deeper. And then that fueled something in my professional life too. And, and still continues to now. It's crazy. Cause I, I, I 100% agree. Uh, when COVID first hit, I had an agency. I owned an uh, agency with three other people in Milwaukee, and we grew really fast. And uh, long story short, COVID made us shut down. And we, I, I took like three months, and I just basically just wallowed in my in my sorrows in my sorrows. Wow. <laughs> and yep. like I just, I basically was just to be honest, I was depressed. But I was yeah, of course. Like I wasn't, I wasn't reading. Like I had been reading a lot. I had been trying to work out. I'd been trying to do all these things. And I saw this mat. Like I, I got to the point where I was like, damn. Like I would look in the mirror and I didn't like who I was. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew I needed to change. So I started to make these these little changes. I started to read. I started to kind of inform myself some more. And it, 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 it helps so much by just doing those small things. Um, because, I mean, like you said, if you're constantly, your brain's your biggest muscle and you have to feed it. And it's that's interesting. 
for yeah. sure. And it, and it aids in the, your relationships with people as well. Like I've been through times in my career where work has been so stressful that I haven't had a time to do that. And then when I have time to talk to people, I'm so boring because I don't have anything to talk about because they ask me. And the first <laughs> thing I talk about is what's going on at work. And that's just, that's not right. <laughs> um, and so I have really prioritized time spent away from work because it's just improved everything about my professional life and it's also improved relationships and the time spent connecting with people because you have new things to share and you make better conversation um and so i really do see the value in that across the board both professionally and personally and so i can't advocate for that enough so i'm happy to hear you feel the same way and um, i should have said before sorry to hear about your agency but with this podcast seems like things are going going pretty great yeah we're okay thank you i appreciate that what do you what do you do in your free time well, I have two children, so um, I don't know what you would classify as free time um, <laughs> anymore. We have a we have an almost three year old boy and an eight month old girl, so COVID has been wild. Um, but in general, I'm in sure. my free time, I try and exercise again, much like feeding your brain, um, feeding your body with exercise. I find it just um, you know puts me in a really different place, and so finding time to exercise, even if it's putting the kids in their strollers and going for a um, what my wife and I would call like an aggressive walk around the neighborhoods going up as many <laughs> steep hills as we can. Um, that's definitely it. And it also gives us time to connect and chat and just, you know, not have to think about anything. So definitely a lot of that. Um, currently we're in LA, although we're normally based in New York. So we tend to spend time with family where possible um and just having you know our children play with their cousins which is great to see and spending time with the family which has been a massive blessing um during covid one of the few benefits is that i was traveling so much before or you know 80 90 percent of the time i would be home for about a day and a half at the weekend and so this has been so nice to just spend time one-on-one -on -one with my son or daughter or with my wife or all together and just hanging out like there, there was no hanging out before and it sounds like a really strange thing to say but we just appreciate the small things like sitting together and having breakfast um, on a saturday morning because i'm home and i'm not having to go somewhere and do something so very family orientated these days um, i'm trying to make more of an effort to this may sound like a terrible thing to say but my wife would agree <laughs> with it taking more time for myself and she's doing the same thing right like going and going running or going and playing golf with my brother-in-laws or speaking to my family back home and just getting reconnected as much as possible after the, the stressful week and then obviously like i said like reading listening to and discovering music spending time with friends on facetime or on the phone and just hearing what they're up to and checking in and hearing what's going on in their corner of the world and how their lives are has been one of my favorite things about COVID. Um, if you can say that has just been reconnecting with people, even though you haven't seen them for a year plus. I think that's, it's, I tell my girlfriend all the time, I have this one buddy from college, lives 10 minutes away, but we've been relatively good with the quarantine thing. Mm -hmm. And he FaceTimes me just randomly all the time, yeah. just to, just to talk. And we both have like, we're both working and stuff like that. But uh, even just brief conversations like that just go so far to your mental well-being. Uh, it, it, it helps so much. Yeah, I agree. And I think I'm, um, you know, my wife always tells me off because I, I historically have hated FaceTime and I like don't want <laughs> to have these long conversations or engage in them just because 
that's who I am in my character. Um, but during COVID, it really forced my hand where I was like, well, if you don't FaceTime with someone, you're not going to talk to anyone. And so mm -hmm. now I've really seen the value in just pushing through my, my first sentiment, which is, oh, I don't want to pick this up and have to have a long conversation and just <laughs> doing it. And then the second I'm on, I'm like, oh, this is great. And so casual. And so now I've become a, you know, very frequent FaceTimer and phone conversation with all of my friends, if it's for 30 seconds for them to ask a question, or if it's becoming, you know, sometimes like two hours trying to plan trips for 2022. So it definitely makes you feel um, much improved and kind of helps round your day when you're, you know, stuck inside and can't go about your, your regular daily business. You mentioned uh, you've been reading a ton. And mm. you're, you've been putting a focus on that at the very least. Do you have any book recommendations? Mainly for me, honestly, I've been trying to get way more into reading and I'm running out of books. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, I actually just got a book. I need to find what the topic of is. Okay, so I gave up um, drinking alcohol about four or five years ago now. Maybe I can't remember exactly how many years ago, but I was I was never an alcoholic, but I just would have terrible hangovers if I had like one or two beers, I would wake up the next day, no exaggeration, and I would wake up feeling like I'd had 15 beers. Oh, and when wow. I was tra traveling for work and going to things where I was drinking socially, staying up late, getting up early, it was just starting to really drag on me. And I went to the doctor and he was like, you should try not drinking for a month and just see if you're, you know, I had dry skin. He was like, see if your dry skin heals, see if you feel less tired. And that was, you know, four or five years ago now. And, um, and so I got a book recommendation from a friend, or not from a friend, from my sister-in-law, actually, she'd kill me if I said friend, um, <laughs> called Quit Like a Woman, um, which is written by someone called Holly Whitaker. And it talks about making the choice to not drink alcohol in a culture that's obsessed with alcohol. And something that we always talk about is, obviously, I'm English, my wife's family are American, they're all from LA. And something that we talk about a lot is how difficult it is to give up alcohol when you're an english person because everything in england revolves around alcohol mm -hmm. you get a new job you celebrate with beers you get laid off you have beers to commiserate uh you see your friends and family for the first time you have a glass of champagne um and that's all great but i really felt the pressure not from my family or friends specifically but just in general that when i'd given up drinking they were like well how are we meant to have fun with you now and it, <laughs> it just became this thing where it was kind of a challenge in some of my relationships um and so my sister-in-law had been said that she'd been sort of leaning on the wine a bit during COVID. And so she'd had this book recommendation, Quit Like a Woman, um, and that had really helped her. And so this is what I've just started reading. And so I kind of un un unfurls the stigma attached to alcohol, uh, drinking, drinking culture and stuff like that. So I'm only really just getting started with it. Um, but so far I really like it. And even just the notion has been great. So that may not be, um, a meaningful one for you, but it, it definitely has been for me and, and hopefully might be for some of the people listening. And then outside of that, I've been reading a bunch about just personal development and team development. Um, I think at StockX, I'm sure for so many people around the world, it becomes, I want to say it becomes hard when you have a, a, a relatively big job with a significant amount of deliverables that you also are responsible for your team and you want to make sure that you're spending equal time with all of them, developing them, catering to their specific needs, both personal and professional, especially in a time of COVID. And so I've just been reading a lot across lots of different mediums and both literature that friends are sending me about 
personal development, team development, and how to make sure that you're getting the best from your your team members, your employees, your colleagues, your peers, your manager. Um, and that's something that's just been really enlightening for me throughout COVID because it's been a it's a hard time. And I think what you forget about this is everyone is going through these crazy challenges at home, um, whether it's a spouse losing their job, whether it's a nanny having COVID and having no help and dealing with things there, whether it's financial struggles or whatever it may be. And you may think that, well, there's business and, and, and personal life, but in COVID, they all come together. Everybody is in everybody's homes every single day. And you want to be sensitive to that while also still being pragmatic. And so I've been reading a bunch about that. And um, and I can send you some of the stuff that I've been reading, Izzy, if that's helpful. But it's just been it's just been great to kind of spend the time thinking about how to be better for other people, not just how to be better for your own personal development and growth. I love that. What are... Uh... You mentioned it, it's kind of a challenge to juggle all those things. What's the biggest challenge that you face walking in as the VP of cultural marketing? Um, in your opinion, that is. Yeah, in my in my opinion or views of my own, um, I think that <laughs> you know the biggest challenge was there was just so much opportunity when I joined StockX two and a half years ago. It was the same thing when I joined Sonos, where like. The, the insider, cool guy, early adopter audience knew exactly what StockX was, just like they knew Sonos was when I joined. But the opportunity to take that leap to hit the early majority or the next consumer was there. And when I joined, there was not, um, outside of a couple of other VPs, there was not someone that had been in my role before. It was a brand new role. There'd never been a marketing leader. There'd never been a strategy. And so it was like, have at it. And so understanding where the opportunity lay um, and what the most meaningful things to dive into right from the jump were there. And I also think that there was obviously significant expectations because at that time, and still now, frankly, StockX was just exploding. And so the impetus was like, let's just start doing stuff. And so there was pressure to just be out there in the world, activating the brand, whether it was in live events, whether it was brand partnerships, whether it was working with talent and influencers. And so I just felt pressure on that to just be in the door and get going that very instant. And then I think to the point that I made before, there was all of that where it was like, get stuff out into the world, please. But then there was also this growing organization of people within marketing who are like, well, what's my career path or where am I going? Or my role is a bit ambiguous, or I'm not sure that I understand what we're meant to be doing here. What's the strategy? And so tying all of those things together um, while you're going through this, you know, as a startup world, call it kind of blitz scale. Um, it was just so many factors to manage at the time and um, definitely contributed to a lot of the gray hairs on the side of my head currently. <laughs> I, I'm interested to hear your your answer to this what what's your opinion on i i think it was last week i read something that gary v says you need you need quantity you don't need quality what's your opinion on that do you do you believe that quality is more important or quantity in regards to content let's say <laughs> um i i have deep respect for gary v but i don't think that we have the same perspective um <laughs> for, for me and he's been hell of a lot more successful than I have. So I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. But, you know, for me, coming from coming from the world of cultural marketing, coming from the world of wanting to work with creators and talent and small brands to tell their authentic stories to the world and give them a platform, my 
my absolute priority is quality um, mm. and is, is not just pumping out content. And I think we've seen some of these media entities and content houses pumping out so much content that it just becomes meaningless and it doesn't even touch people anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, it's really about quality over quantity. And that's something that the team and I talk about a lot and something that we frankly discussed, argued about in the early days of StockX, where it's like, we need to just be doing stuff. Well, if we do the wrong thing, then it's not going to be the right thing for the brand. And that wrestle, you know, went on for some time. And so I think I would always err on the side of caution and wanting to do the right thing. Um, and, and I think that was something that I really appreciated from, from Sonos and appreciate now um, with StockX and, and my boss, the CMO, Dina, that it's about doing the right thing. And it's not about being slow and overanalyzing and having that like analysis paralysis where you never get anything done because it's never right. But I think it's about understanding what the goals are and hitting those through quality instead of just pumping too much stuff out that causes a consumer and frankly, like a fickle consumer in a lot of these industries to just tap out and then you're done and then you're not talking to them anymore. Um, and so that would definitely be, that would definitely be my priority is the quality. So given your pillars, you have sport, music, and fashion as a reminder for anybody listening. Those three pillars are almost dominated by people of color. And I have to mm -hmm. ask, what's StockX doing in communities of color to kind of make sure that they're being represented? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think as the, the leader, the industry leader in the space, I think it's critical um that we use the platform now there's so many millions of folks on the platform um and i think that we have to use it for good um and so i think using the platform to educate the community raise awareness around issues that matter um and i think obviously like you mentioned this like we're a company deeply rooted deeply connected to black culture and communities of color and it's definitely our obligation to to speak out against injustice and to work for change within and honor the connection. So whether that's in hiring practices, whether it's our commitment to unlock economic opportunity for, for customers and customers in the community, whether it's in our marketing efforts and the way that we work with brands, artists, creators in the black and indigenous people of color community to celebrate and amplify their work. And, and I remember I got asked a question similar to this, um, earlier in the year and i remember saying like i i looked back um right in the middle of the black lives matter movement i remember looking back on what we'd been doing as a brand whether it was working with brands or whether it was working with creators and i want and i was asked because it was people saying are you worried that um you haven't done enough within the the black community uh, or communities of color to support them and my immediate mm. gut reaction was like, no, I don't, I think we've done, I think we've done a good amount. We could always do more, but I feel like we have. And I went back and, and I was very happy to see um, that we had been supporting a very diverse um, range of folks globally in all of our initiatives. Um, and so I think now, obviously the impetus is to continue to do more and to have that woven into all of those areas that I mentioned before. And so, you know, things like, campaign for cause, which we did, which was a, a UG set, a UGC led social campaign, um, in support of feeding America at the very beginning of, um, of the COVID-19, um, pandemic. Then there was, we did a world health organization, 
um, campaign for cause, which was donating people from around the world, um, creators, brands, artists gave us product. Um, and we, we use that product for people to donate money, um, to raise money for the world health organization. Um, and then we'll continue to do things that give back to Detroit and our home, obviously. And so supporting different organizations there, like Playworks, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, et cetera. And, and we'll continue, um, to do a lot more there. So I would be, uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about the recent valuation that StockX received and how that's going to impact the future. So I'm going to pose the question like this. What what are you really excited for in the near future for you guys, for StockX? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's obviously an incredibly exciting time in general. Like I said, when I joined, StockX was known by the kind of insider community, the real sneakerheads. But, but not much beyond that, frankly. Um, and, and now it's obviously far and away transcended that. So I think I'm excited about that and because of just the idea behind StockX is something that I really, um, I really just understand that I'm with and I appreciate, which is around giving people access to the, the products that they love. And so I think seeing that go to a wider, a wider group of consumers around the world, I think personally is just really exciting. I think in terms of the funding, you know, I'm excited to see the authentication center network grow. Um, in Q4, we opened three and there will be more this year um, around the world. Um, we've got 10 at the moment and there'll be significantly more this year. And so I'm excited to see that because it means we can authenticate more product. We have larger capacity. And then it means that people can, for all intents and purposes, getting their products or be getting their product more quickly at a higher level of service from those authentication centers around the world. And that's great because I think, you know, particularly these days, people are used to having their product in a, in a relatively quick way. It comes to you in a relatively fast way, right? Whether you buy it from a retailer or whether you go to a shop and buy it. And because of the nature of StockX as a marketplace, it takes a little bit longer. And so we're always excited when we can live up to these, what we call retail standards where you can get that person that product exactly when they want it and they're happy and they're passionate and they'll tell their friends about it and they'll come back to the platform and you're fulfilling that need that they have for the item that they're excited about and then i think after that it's it's around innovation um and and the experience on the platform i think historically StockX has been viewed as transactional because of the nature of the data, the numbers, the insights that you get on the platform, and it's been very data heavy. And I think we're excited to see some of this funding coming in, which will go towards this product innovation, tech hiring, accelerating innovation in the way that we deliver this experience to customers around the world, whether that be web or in app as well. And I think the final piece is around the new categories. Um, obviously, it's sneakers, apparel, accessories, and collectibles. But also, we added electronics at the end of last year, and that vertical has exploded. And so, seeing and applying that to these further vertical opportunities for these very limited supply products, but very high in demand, and being able to be the go-to platform for that. So, I think there's just so much opportunity ahead, and and everyone, including myself, is is really excited for that. Um, because it can mean more benefit, a better experience for the customer, which certainly for me is why I came here in the first place. I was the person in the middle of the countryside in England that was seeing all of these things happen in the New York sneaker scene, in Colette, in Paris, in LA, and I would never able to get access to any of those products, or if I was, it took six weeks for it to arrive, and 
now StockX is the platform that can afford that and also gives me the information I need on what price I should be paying, placing bids below uh, market to see if I can hit and all these kinds of fun things that I think customers want. And so we're excited to be able to bring that to more people for sure. If you had the chance, what would you tell that that young boy growing up in the English countryside? <laughs> um, you know, I think I would say trust your gut. Um, mm. And I think I, I still mean that now. Um, you know, when I was younger, I went through the typical education that you go through when you're uh, when you're a young person, which is you go to junior school, you go to high school, you then go to university. Um, and, and I went through all of those things, but I think I was living in denial. Um, and I first realized that when I went to university where I didn't get into the course that I wanted to, but I thought I wanted to go to university so badly that I went and studied something different. And then I spent a year hating it, forcing it. And then I decided I needed to change courses again to do something different. And I got three months in and I thought, this just isn't me. And I know it's not me. And I don't know why I'm continuing to force this and waste my student loan money and my parents' money. I need to get my act together. And so if I'd thought about it early enough and really recognized who I was, and obviously that's part of growing up, but I think if I'd really listened to myself and spent time listening to my heart, I would have realized that university was not the right thing for me. And I should have gone and done something more experience focused, which I ended up doing. I, I left university without completing it and went to New York for three months and did an internship with an agency. Um, and and that was the beginning of my career. And, th and that frankly made the first few years of my career doing that three month internship. And I think I should have, whilst it's worked out okay so far, I think it would have been, um, there were some very hard times along the way, particularly as I was leaving university and what that meant. Um, and so I think I would have just, listened to and trusted my gut. And I still think that that's the case now. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. Um, and, and I definitely, definitely rely on that a lot now and, uh, and try to instill that into, into those around me as well. Mm. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. I'm going to I'm going to write that down somewhere <laughs> and make sure I look back on that. Cause that, that's awesome. Um, I got one more question for you. Yeah. And I want, an answer from the Tom perspective, not from the top, uh, the StockX perspective. Sure. Uh, when it when it's all said and done, what impact do you want to leave on the world? Wow, saving the best for last of that question. That's <laughs> putting me on the spot again. Um, you know, I think the thing, the reason why I got into all of this marketing um, in the first place was to get as close as I possibly could to like art and not art that's necessarily visual art, but just creativity. Um, I, I was a musician when I was younger, I played the drums. I was incredibly, still am incredibly passionate about music, incredibly passionate about fashion, art, design. Um, and that has made my entire life. Like that's th those arts, those experiences associated with them have sculpted who I am today. And I think the most important thing for me is, and I think about this, so much about when I move into this moved into this role, what will my effect be? But I think broadly speaking, it's connecting people, particularly young people, to things that they are passionate about that are going to shape them into what they what or who they want to become. Um, and sometimes it can get 
tenuous, but that's the challenge with having a job is that it's not always going to be exactly your every single step of the way. But I think my mark that I want to leave is having, having connected people with things that they're passionate about and having them experience that in a positive way. And that could be something as simple as getting them access to, a, you know, an artist t-shirt from a release that they would otherwise never have been able to get access to, or maybe it's a piece of content with an incredible score telling a story of a musician about where they came from. And the person that watches it just happens to be the biggest fan of that musician that they found, you know, on Facebook two years ago, and now they live in the middle of nowhere. But this is one thing is like the piece of content that they've been waiting for, or, you know, a documentary series that's in a similar way. So I think it's really all about connecting people with the things that they're passionate about. And so there's no numbers attached to that or anything, but it's really supporting the things that people care about and helping fuel their future life and growth through the things that they're passionate about. Tom, I want to thank you for jumping on the Strange on Purpose podcast. This was amazing. Uh, I would keep going for three hours, but I'm sure you have a ton of things to do. So uh, I appreciate you uh, for jumping on today. You as well. Thank you so much for having me. Yo, thank you for checking out this episode of the Strange on Purpose podcast. I literally could not do any of this without you listening today. So thank you again. And if you're interested, check us out on Instagram at Strange on Purpose or check out our website, strangeonpurpose.co. I have a newsletter that should be dropping very, very soon, blog posts to come with all of this. And hopefully when COVID restrictions end, we can do some live events and everything like that. Thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you tune into the next one. Mm-hmm.